I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Well, welcome to another edition of the Working Conversations podcast. And today I am super excited to turn the tables and actually be the one who is being interviewed. I am fortunate today to have Jason Hunt with me. He is the founder of I Squared Leadership. And in addition to being a colleague in the field of training and development and speaking, I am also pleased to count him as a friend. And today, Jason is going to be interviewing me about the hybrid workforce and the hybrid environment that we're all headed into. And we're going to find out what his questions are. And I'm sure that in answering his questions, you'll get some of your own questions answered as well. So, Jason, welcome. Thanks, Janelle. I'm super excited to be here and spend some time with you. And I've been pondering some questions about working from home and hybrid teams for a while. I'm sure a lot of your audience has, too. This is just a It's a topic that's on everybody's mind. And and I happen to have a client that I've been working with. We have a strong relationship. And they're like, Jason, can you come and talk to us a little bit about hybrid working relationships? And and I I needed some more answers. And so I knew that this is an area that you've done some work on. You've definitely thought more about it than I have. So I'm, I'm looking forward to having a discussion with you and kind of diving into your mind and your understanding of how we can be able to have these teams. First and foremost, if you can clarify for us, you know, almost all of us ended up going to to work from home environment. Once COVID hit, things shut down, we transitioned, we're working from home. We're we're 15 months into this now. So I'm curious from your perspective and the clients and different organizations you've been working with, what would you say are some of the greatest challenges of the work from home structure? Well, that's a great, it's a great question. And I, I have to answer it with a range. Because when we look at it, it's easy to try to, to think about the, you know, the average work from home person, but people are dealing with so many different circumstances. So when we think about what those challenges are, I find it really helpful to break out the, you know, typical work from home person into a couple of different categories or almost personas or avatars. And so you've got some people who really love working from home and they've really hit their stride and they are highly productive working from home and you know they just love it and for them the single biggest challenge is getting their workday back inside their workday because mm-hmm. since their computer is you know right there sometimes on their dining room table is where they're officing from if they aren't fortunate enough to have some private space in their home and it's really hard to shut it down and so their workday is bleeding into their personal life and they are seriously running a risk of burnout, whether they realize it or not. And sometimes it's their family and friends who realize that they are about to burn out sooner than they do it themselves. Um, so that's one kind of challenge of, of a typical work from home employee. And then another type of person who is a very different persona really doesn't love working from home. And maybe they're doing fine at it and maybe they're being productive. They might be somebody who's single 
and doesn't have a whole house full, you know, they haven't been trapped in their house full of family like many of us have throughout the pandemic. And so their work friends have become their real friends. And now they're missing those people and they're missing those daily interactions with other human beings. Now, I've also, I can't even tell you how many people told me throughout the pandemic that they were a lot less introverted than they thought they were. They thought they were introverts and then put them in their homes by themselves for 12 or you yeah. know, 12 or 15 months. And they realize, oh, I really do crave human interaction. And I do get more out of being with people than I necessarily thought I, I would. Mm-hmm. And so those folks, they really don't love it. They miss their work friends. And then you've got a third type who I think really wants to love it because they are getting more done. They appreciate not being interrupted in the office and so forth, but they are stretched so thin. And I think chief among this group are the working mothers, because Mm -hmm. those working mothers are especially hard hit in meeting some of the demands. And sometimes these are societal and those working mothers need to push back on their spouses or partners to get more hands on deck as it relates to some of the things that are happening on at home, on the home front with kids and meal prep and getting kids to camps and all of that kind of stuff, which has traditionally fallen more towards women than men. And so in that work from home environment, especially when the kids were distance learning and now that it's summer and those kids are for the most part, you know, at home, they still need rides to camps and baseball practice and everything else. And so I think the working moms really want to love it. And it's not just the working moms. There's plenty of working dads in this category too. And other people who are caregivers, maybe of, of other types of family members who are just really stretched thin right now. Sure. So, so that leads me to think, and I've struggled with this one personally. I love how you you described, especially that first caricature, right? That, that first in, individual that is working more. Mm-hmm. And I think about my own personal life, you know, there's less commuting. I'm not traveling to events. You know, I could just jump right on to Zoom. You know, I, th- there's nobody to talk with. So nobody's coming to my cubicle and interrupting me. We're not having casual conversations around the coffee maker. I mean, we become more productive, obviously, because we just have more time on task, right? And I like how you said that some of us are adding on to the front or the end parts of that and becoming even more. So we're, we're hyper productive, but I think that has also caused some of us to feel extremely guilty when we go and take an hour for lunch or when we decide, you know what, I've got a flexible work schedule. I'm going to drive my kid over to his baseball game. So how do we, how do we try to, you know, grapple with the idea of being productive, but recognize there were lots of unproductive times in our regular working schedule and not feel guilty about taking some of those unproductive times. Well, and I think just simply asking the question is the first step because you're raising our awareness to it. You're bringing attention to the fact that, yeah, we used to have all this water cooler chat and we used to have these casual conversations in the hallway and all these things that we would maybe, and I don't use air quotes often, but I'm going to put this in air quotes, wasting time. Mm -hmm. That Those would be things that were time wasters. But in fact, they were not time wasters. Those were relationship building things that were happening in the workplace. And by and large, we're missing out on many of those because we have gotten so transactional in our work. And when you think about, especially because we're sending messages via Microsoft Teams and email and text and all of these simply text-based mediums, and we're missing each other in the nonverbal cues, the tone of voice, the goodwill, the positive intent, the eye contact, the smiles. And that is really flattening out our work and it's making it feel very transaction-based. And that is also leading to, you know, can potentially lead to burnout. And it also makes it that much harder than when we do need to really lean on a colleague and ask them to help out with something in a tight deadline 
because we haven't had a lot of that relationship building for the last almost year and a half now, it's harder to be making those asks and those requests. Now, I also want to circle back to this idea of productivity, because again, by and large, I think that senior executives thought as we headed into the pandemic a year ago, March, that productivity was a big risk factor. And again, overwhelmingly, that has proven not to be the case. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, though, senior leaders have started to tell me more recently, and I don't know if it's because summer hit or, or if this is just a work from home fatigue kicking in, but that increasingly employees are staying very busy during the workday, but their productivity is starting to slack off. Interesting. And part of that busyness is these other things that are in the home workplace mowing the lawn, getting kids to camps and so on. And so sometimes people feel exhausted at the end of the day, but when you look at their actual productivity over the last few months, it's actually gone down. And now that's not with everybody, but that is a trend that I'm starting to hear more about. So I think it's worth looking at and worth having a conversation with employees about if you start to see productivity slipping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if I'm hearing you correctly, then there, there's this, this acknowledgement of the struggles we might have of productivity versus like you call it wasted time, but the, the, the extra things that we do during our day, you know, balance we need to be aware of while ensuring that we're, or at least getting things done and not be, not just doing busy work to fill the hours of the working day. Maybe we become a little accustomed to that and it's different now because it's not new anymore. Whereas at the beginning it was new. And so therefore we were very cognizant or aware of that. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. Definitely. And I think to speak to that busy work too, one of the things I've overwhelmingly been telling people to do is turn off their email alerts so that they can have some focus time. Because even if you're just glancing at, you know, you hear the ding or the beep or the little ghost that comes up on your, on your screen, even if you just glance at that, it's taking your game off of whatever you were focusing on before. And by and large, what shows up in your email is other people's priorities. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes sure it's a, the answer to a question that you are looking for, but more often than not, it's somebody else needing a piece of your time or attention for something. And so if we can even carve out 25 minutes to have that email alert turned off so that we can stay focused on what we're doing, then we can continue to ensure that our productivity is continuing to uh, be maintained and sustained. Yeah. There's some true wisdom to that. I, I call them my focus blocks <laughs> and I do, I'll shut off email and I'm like, I don't go any more than 90 minutes. Cause at that point, my brain is just fried, but, yeah. but somewhere between 60 to 90 minutes where I won't even look at it at all. And, and it's incredible. It's incredible. The difference of how our, our brains can work. So Janelle, I think that you know, as we're opening up or, you know, the restrictions and regulations we have around COVID are obviously being relaxed. People are looking at going back to work. And I don't know if we're ever going to get to the place where everybody's working 100% of the time back in their same offices. I don't, I don't know if there's value to that, honestly, for a lot of organizations. So this word hybrid has been coming up all over the place. If you were working with a team that's been 100% work from home, and now they're starting to to do some hybrid stuff, starting to come back into the office. What kinds of suggestions or or advice might you give to this team? What do they need to be aware of? So the first and most critical thing is that we're not going back into what we were in before. So I think sometimes people have a misconception that going back to work is going to be like going back to February 2020. And it is absolutely not because of several reasons. One of those reasons is that, again, as we were talking about productivity, people have demonstrated the ability to be highly productive at home. And you also mentioned commuting. 
And overwhelmingly, the research is showing that the single most important reason that people don't want to go back to work in full time, five days a week in the office is because of their commute. Hmm. And that is rising to the top as the number one reason why people don't want to go back. Absolutely, they miss their colleagues. Absolutely, they miss collaborating in real time in a conference room where they can whiteboard their ideas and all, and, and those chance hallway conversations and all of those things. So, but but overwhelmingly, it's the commute that's holding people back from wanting to go in more often. And again, we're also seeing in the research that people are going to be looking for new jobs if they don't have an opportunity to at least be working from home a couple of days a week. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it, it is that is real. Now, when we look at what do the logistics look like, because as I said, we're not going back to the past, we're going into the future. And in fact, before I get to the logistics of what the future looks like, let me just say this. When we transitioned to a largely work from home environment, except for a, you know a handful of critical roles when the pandemic hit, just because of public health and safety, overwhelmingly, people did okay. We did the best we could. We made things work. People who were used to having, you know, a paper-based system suddenly were found themselves without a printer at home. And people who had two or three monitors found themselves with only a laptop and, you know, on and on it went and we made it work. Mm-hmm. Well, what's different now about this inflection point as we look towards going into a hybrid model is that we don't have an overwhelming need to make it happen overnight like we did in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. We have an on-ramp. We can be intentional, we can be specific, we can actually design a system that's going to support not only the work that we do, the customers that we serve, but also the employees who do that work. And so this is, I think this is actually really exciting time because again, we're not going into the Wayback Machine, going back to early March, 2020, we are going into the future and it is a brave new frontier that we get to design. And I think when we take the time to intentionally design it and think about who are our employees, What are their needs, both social as well as tools to get their work done? And who are the customers that we serve? And how much do they need our people in the office, need us together and so forth? And that's going to vary from industry to industry, from role to role. But we have the time to design it intentionally. And so I think it's really, it's a really exciting time that I think employees also need to be there, especially because when you look at employees, you've got like three different types of employees right now, as they look towards going back into the co-located office at, Mm -hmm. you know, some days of the week, you've got the ones who are really excited to do it because the ones who've been missing their coworkers. Mm -hmm. So they're super on board. Then you've got some who are like, you know, I can make this work a hybrid work schedule. I can make this work. They're okay with it. And then you've got the ones who fiercely want to work from home all the time. And so we've got these th- these three different types of people going back into the office in some probably rotation. And you know, we've got factors that include health and safety because not everybody is vaccinated. And so there there may be a checkerboarding happening in the office where every other cubicle is being used. Or some organizations have done some massive remodeling during this time and made workspaces larger and stationed further apart from one another. So there's going to be some, you know, landing at a spot for maybe two days a week. And then that spot gets thoroughly cleaned. And then somebody else comes in and lands in that spot for two Mm -hmm. days a week. Mm -hmm. And so you may be on a rhythm where you don't see your favorite coworkers. They're maybe not scheduled to come in on the same days that you are. And so that can feel, that can have people feeling left out. It can so there's a whole a whole range of social dynamics that can happen with the uh, rotating of people in and out of of their physical space, and and to be ready for that uh, as well as logistical things. 
People will forget their badges. They will forget their computers or they will bring their computer, but they will forget their power cord. And I think organizations need to be ready for that logistically with loaner laptops, backup power cords and all the rest, because those logistic things are going to happen. Yeah, those are great comments. I I think, though, you may have risen uh, more questions than there is (laughs) answers because now we're thinking now I'm thinking I'm like, okay, so when we do go back, do we try to have all of our staff go back on two days a week or do we space them out, you know, and kind of rotational cycle? When we're thinking about our team meetings, do we continue to have those virtually or do we specifically have those meetings when, uh, you know, in person on the team day for some of that, that collaboration you were talking about when we're thinking about office space, you know, do you, do you have one person there for a couple of days and then another person, the same space, because then you can consolidate space, right? And you don't, as a business, you won't need as much office space. So a, a lot of questions around, the, do you know if there's any, any good guidance or research out there saying, Hey, these are the three things that you just got to make sure you do or that that work, or is it very individualized based upon your organization? So I'm going to give you the three things. I was hoping you were going to ask me for the three things question. All right. So here they are. So the first consideration is what is the nature of the work? And we really need to let the nature of the work drive the schedule that we make and the demands of when people need to come in or not and not need to come in. And and I'm a big, big fan of figuring out that work need first and then mapping schedules or asking for requests of what days of the week do you want to come in and and, and so forth of your employees. Some people, and I think we've seen this with some of the big tech companies, it's all over the news lately that they've been asking them for their schedule preferences. And then all of a sudden realizing that, oh, that's not actually going to work for us. We need to backpedal (laughs) on some of that and put a more intentional plan in place. So first is the nature of the work. I mean, some people who are serving customers and those customers come to your physical location, well, Mm -hmm. they need to be there. And maybe we had to make other arrangements during the pandemic, but now those customers want to come back to those storefronts or those businesses and be in person. So we need some of our staff there. So it could be uh, based on that. Um, It could also be based on the nature of the collaboration. So as you mentioned, you you can carve out a 90-minute time of focus time on your calendar and do that focus work. Sometimes we have work that is very independent that we can work on at home. And that would be great for an at-home day is to plan some of that focus work and do it then, and then plan some of our work that would would be better done in collaboration with others and ideally in person, perhaps, again, in a conference room, drawing on a whiteboard and so forth. Even though we found all the ways to do those things online, sometimes it is just better to do those in person with people. So the, the nature of the work could be, uh, you know, could, could be collaborative, could be uh, that focus work. And then, so again, the nature of the work. Now, one other thing I'll say about uh, that first piece of the nature of the work is this also is going to require employees to be a little bit more thoughtful about what what activities they're planning for certain days. Because if they know they want to collaborate, like Jason, if I know that you and I are going to both be in the office on Thursday and we are working on a project together... I might, without even being exactly sure what we're going to talk about, I might just, you know, intentionally schedule some time with you because I know we're both in the office that day. Mm. Now, if it comes to pass that we don't need that time, we can just cancel it. Sure. But if we haven't thought of that, then it's kind of a waste. If I'm sitting in my office and you're sitting in your office, we're both doing independent work, focus work. And the next day we really wish we had collaborated on something. So it does require employees as well as their supervisors and their managers to be thinking more intentionally about what do we do on which days. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. 
Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. So I'm going to pause you right there. That probably means then the degree of transparency that happens within the company is going to be really critical now, right? We need to ensure that people know, here's the days that so-and-so or so-and-so is going to be in so that we can have those pre-thoughts, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. I, I like that. That's great. And so, idea. and so that's some set schedules and that's some, and it also puts a different kind of rhythm. And this is a bit of an aside, but it puts a different rhythm to your life. If you're going into the office one day and not the other day, especially if you've got a 25 mile commute and pack your lunch and various other logistical things to be thinking about. But anyway, back to our, our three things that organizations should be thinking about with, with, uh, with respect to putting that schedule together. So first is the nature of the work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then the second is your employees. So what are your employees' desires, needs, and so forth? And here's where, again, you're going to have a range of people who either want to come into the office all the time, and maybe you can't for reasons of health and safety, which we'll get to next. And maybe you've got some people who don't want to come in at all. But again, for reasons of collaboration, for reasons of the nature of the work, and even just sometimes we also need to think about the person's career trajectory. Because what the research showed before the pandemic is, let's say you've got uh, you've got two people, you've got Sean and Shauna. Let's just say we'll give these two people some identity here. And Sean is a 28 year old male uh, single. He lives five minutes from the office, uh, five minute walk from the office in a condo downtown. Mm-hmm. And Shauna lives 35 miles from the office. She's got three kids. Her kids are eight, 11, and 13. Uh, and they're both at the same, pretty much the same point in their career, similar titles. They're both career-driven. They both want the next promotion and so on. What the research shows is that the work-from-home employee who is full-time work-from-home is 50% less likely to get that promotion, all other things being equal. Oh, sure. Yep. It's because of the FaceTime. So sometimes we need to Get management needs to get employees into the office, even if they say, oh, I can do all this from home or I work better from home. Yeah, but we need to see you. Mm-hmm. See, leaders need to see you. Your colleagues need to see you. That's how you're going to get promoted. That's how you're going to get more interesting assignments. We need a little bit of FaceTime, even if maybe you aren't in all, you know, all the time. But so it's the employee is our second piece of the puzzle there. But again, we really want to lead with what is the work demand? And then what is the employee's requests or desires and and the nature of their work and so forth. And then the third piece is health and safety. Because again, as I was mentioning before, we're going back into an office where not everybody's going to be vaccinated. And even those who are vaccinated may have either children at home or people with certain health conditions at home. And they may be concerned about bringing something, you know, contaminating their own home by being in the environment, in the office environment, even if they themselves are vaccinated. 
So we've, we're still going to have these health and safety concerns that are going to, you know, yes, they may, may end up reducing our commercial real estate footprint and cost. And that may be a great thing for employers, but then we also need to think about how do we equitably and fairly move people through those spaces so that they're getting the face time, our customers are getting served, the nature of the work is getting done, and it's all being done in a health, healthy and safe environment. And that's a lot to juggle. Yeah, but I love the three, it's almost like a three-legged stool you've got here, right? You've got the nature of the work, which is really imperative, but if that's the only thing you focus on and you don't think about the health and the safety and your employees, that stool is going to fall, right? You know, you need, you need all three of these things in consideration of them to really kind of map out the logistics or the structure, the intentional actions you're going to take as a team starts to come back and create kind of this hybrid environment, right? Exactly. That's really good. So you've you've mentioned this word collaboration numerous times. My there's always a, a little excitement that happens when I hear that word because that's my word of the year this year is collaboration. And I've really been trying to figure out how can I collaborate more, especially as a sol- solopreneur. Sometimes we can find ourselves just trapped and isolated from everybody. Uh, so so this this takes on a different form though. I think when you're talking about hybrid environments, you've talked a little bit about having people come in and maybe there's some some intentional meetings we set up, but would you mind expanding a little bit more on how does a hybrid team really become very good at collaboration? Great question. Great question. So I think we really need to be mindful of spaces and places. And those spaces and places might be online spaces and places, and they might be in-person spaces and places. And so going back to what I was mentioning before, if I know I'm collaborating on a project with you and we're going to be in the office, let's say some one, maybe one day a week is all that we line up together. If we have that, that time held on our calendar for us to do that. And again, we can always let that go if we don't need it. So that's, that's one thing we can do. The other thing, uh, well, a couple of, a couple other ideas here. I think it's important to be really mindful of something called proximity bias. And here's how proximity here's how proximity bias works, and then here's how it might play with collaboration or not play with collaboration, as it were. So proximity bias is like let's say that uh, Jason, you and I work for a, a large corporation, and we're doing uh, a checkerboard schedule. You and I are in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and every other Friday, and we're in at the on the same days and the same times, and our schedule rotates together we could inadvertently end up with proximity bias towards one another. That What that means is the people who are in our proximity, we give favorable treatment to. Now, sure. if you're my manager mm-hmm. and you see me on the same days all the time, and then you don't see this, the other people because we're rotating on the same schedule, you might not see some of my colleagues who also report to you. And then you may have proximity bias towards me inadvertently giving me a leg up on interesting projects or more time with you or whatever. Now, I also want to suggest that this doesn't necessarily correlate just to if we're in person together. Let's say you're a manager who's particularly savvy online and you do a great job of engaging your employees online. And so it might be that you and I are rotating on the same online schedule. And so I might get proximity bias to you in the ether because I'm really good online and you're really good online. And so then we might again, kind of fall into a rhythm where I'm getting preferential treatment because I'm so good and savvy online and you're a good savvy manager online as well. And then our colleague who isn't necessarily as savvy online or as present online gets left out in in the fold. And so I think how that plays into collaboration then is we have to think about who's good at collaborating online 
in terms of handling the technology, being able to map out their ideas on the whiteboard, whether that's in Zoom or Teams or WebEx or wherever you're hanging out online, who's got a master on that technology? And then can we get them collaborating with their peers in the right spaces and places where the affinity for those spaces and places is somewhat similar? Because if I'm really clunky and I can't whiteboard my ideas very well online, but I can do great at doing that in the office on an actual whiteboard, then to, you know, to the best of our ability, well, a couple of things need to happen there. One is I need to skill up a little bit on my whiteboarding tools <laughs> in, the, in the apps that we're using. And to the extent that I can get some meetings FaceTime in those real-time spaces when we can. Then, you know, one other thing too, because collaboration involves usually meetings. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the research, and I think this is absolutely fascinating, if we look at the research prior to the pandemic across all industry sectors, and this is just an average across industry sectors, 8% of meetings had one or more person logging in remotely, 8%. Okay. Prior prior to the pandemic, 8% of all meetings had one or more people logging in remotely. Now, during and after, I mean, we're not quite after yet, but coming out of the pandemic, that number has risen to 98% of all meetings. Sure. 98% of all meetings have one or more person logging in remotely. Now, in many cases, it's all of us. And what I want people to consider is perhaps it is best if it is all of us. Even on those hybrid days, when you've maybe got half of your, your intact team working together in the office, And then half of the rest of the the other half of the intact team calling in from home or, you know, uh, logging in via Zoom or Teams or whatever technology you're using. I'm going to suggest that, and the research backs me up on this, that it's all for one and one for all. If at least one person is logging in remotely, then that whole meeting should take place Mm -hmm. via Teams. Mm -hmm. And everybody should be in boxes as opposed to half of the group around a conference room table and the other group, the other half around, you know, in boxes on the screen. Hmm. So one person needs I, to that, so you're onto something here. I like that idea a lot. I, I do training for one particular client and um, we've been having an ongoing meeting, some hybrid, some not, you know, some, some remote, some not. And I've been in the room with four or five other people while there's been two or three other people online. And then just last week, I was the person online because I was out of town. I couldn't make it, but I wanted to participate still. So, so then there was others in the room and you're right. I felt this disconnect was going on. There's almost like separate conversations that were happening in the room that I just wasn't aware of or, or facial expressions or, you know, just different body pieces, pieces of body language that we, we couldn't see. So that's interesting that you would suggest and the research would back it up that if we're going to do anything in regards to like hybrid meetings, it really should just be all online meetings. Yep. It's the rule of one. If one person's going to be logging in and being a box on a screen, we should all be a box on a screen. Now, if you remember back before the pandemic, when people were doing these kind of hybrid meetings back, you know, back in the day when you'd maybe have a group of people at your headquarters, and then maybe you had people calling in from regional offices, or maybe people who were working from home or sales teams or whatever, people working in the, doing various types of field work, they would get forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We would forget they were there. And <laughs> we, we absolutely run the risk of having history repeat itself here. Uh-huh. Because I, I, of exactly what you just said, there is some uh, je ne sais quoi, we can't quite name it, but when we are in a room together, there are all these nonverbal cues we give each other, you know, a quick glance, um, the, the look you give somebody and like a thousand words are explained by just giving somebody a slight, you know, 
raise of an eyebrow when somebody says a particular question or asks an, you know, asks a question or says an idea. So much information gets exchanged non-verbally, and we're uh, we're we're leaving people out of those exchanges. It's so funny you bring that up. Uh, it, there was another group that I was working with, and there was always one that, that phoned in because it was a great hire. She could do her work remotely. It just made sense for the team. So we come and do all these massive team trainings, and and she was a phone in individual, and and there were. There were a couple of our first meetings where I did completely forget her. I'd have them do partner conversations or or we'd we'd be deep into some some discussion and I, I wouldn't seek her input at all. I had to like physically find a, sh- a sheet of cardstock. I'd write her name, Shirley, on that, and I'd put that right next to the phone with the smiley face next to it, just so I could be cognizant, hey, there's one more person in this conversation that's not just physically in the room. <laughs> so it's funny you mentioned that. I did numerous times I forgot her completely and how important for us now to be intentionally aware of that so that everybody is being included in these in these collaborative discussions. Absolutely. So here let me give you a couple of a uh, let, let's flesh this out a little bit as well. So there are some workarounds. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here's what can happen if we do a hybrid meeting when we have like, say, six people in a conference room and we're projecting everybody else up on the screen. So let's say we're not going to forget about them because they're not just somebody calling in on the polycom conference, you know, that's sitting in the middle of the conference table. Now they're projected up on the screen. But even when they're projected up on the screen, they're still going to have the experience that you did last week where you are missing out on the nonverbals and mm-hmm. the subtle nuances that are happening in the room. So then there's no way to recreate that. So that's that's still going to be a factor. Now, I used to teach this stuff prior to the pandemic and about how to have hybrid, how to have effective hybrid meetings. And, you know, you can go to uh, well, if you've I know probably not a lot of people who have been to weddings recently or not big weddings. They've been like small outdoor affairs recently. But prior to that, again, we go into the Wayback Machine. You know how you go to a wedding or even a, a conference like the conferences that you and I speak at. Sometimes there's a table number, you know, a number on each table. Sure. And you've been assigned to sit at table 14 and there's a big 14 on, uh, a, you know, a piece of wire with a uh, and you can buy those things at at uh, craft stores, at the dollar store and so forth. These these. Uh, things that go on, on the table, table markers, mm-hmm. table markers. There you go. And so what I would recommend people do is let's say you've got four people who work in regional offices who are always in your, you know, your Tuesday morning staff meeting, go get four of those, have each of those people send you a physical photo of them, laminate that photo and put it in the table marker and set it up next to the polycom where they're logged in, in the middle of that conference table so that everybody in the room is mindful of those people. And we have their actual faces there. Mm-hmm. Now, again, technology is taking care of some of that for us, but back in the, you know, back in the day before we weren't doing so many meetings remotely, I was recommending that, or, you know, the, the very large post-it notes that you can get the and the super sticky ones, writing their names in a big Sharpie and, and, and folding those like table tents. So they're standing up on the table next to that microphone or next to that speakerphone in the middle of the table. Sure. So we really need to be reminding ourselves that those folks are there because it is so easy to forget them. Mm-hmm. And then that just leads to disenfranchisement and disconnection and disengagement. And nobody wants that. If we can correct for that by having everybody in a box on a screen, and then those voices who sometimes couldn't get a word in because they were always getting talked over and nobody was aware that they had wanted to take a turn. You know, now when we're all in boxes, we've got the hand raise feature. We've got, you can sometimes see, I mean, see people's box will light, will, you know, get a green, uh, a green rectangle around it when they're the active speaker. So we've got all these different technology cues to let us know that other people are either trying to participate 
or want to participate. Sure. Yep. So I want to go back just a little bit. You use the word disenfranchisement um, with people that might be in the same meeting, but remote. Previous to that, you spoke of this, this idea of um, proximity bias. And, 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 and I, I get that. That completely makes sense to me. Would the suggestion then be that we become intentional in the way that we schedule too, so that we're getting more exposure to more people and not, not, you know, here's the five people that have the same five schedules, but rather we kind of mix that up over the course of time. Or what, what would you say that we could do to, to not disenfranchise people through our hybrid kind of structured model? Well, I think it becomes really important to think about management and leadership's role in the rotation. So let's say you've got a team of 12 that reports to you and you're going to have Tuesday, Thursday, and every other Friday is half the team and and Monday, Wednesday, and every other Friday is the other half of the team. Now, if you as their manager fall in sync with one of those schedules, then of course, you're going to be lending yourself to proximity bias, whether that's the online proximity bias or the face-to-face proximity bias doesn't really matter. So you as their supervisor needs to have a schedule that is jumbled compared to either one of those so that you're coming in on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday every week and working from home Monday, Friday, so that you're getting, you know, and then maybe you have to mix that up again, the you know, you hold that for two or three weeks and then you change it up again because maybe you've got two days a week with one set of the group and, and, and only one with the other. Now, you also may want to think about mixing that up periodically for your staff. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and there's pros and cons to this, because the pro, of course, is as human beings, we like to have a predictable schedule. Mm-hmm. For those who have families, they like to have, they, the family likes to have the, them have a predictable schedule so that if they're expecting mom or dad to be able to make them lunch at around noon or whatever, and they come to your office or your corner of the bedroom or the basement where you're usually office and you're not there, that can be <laughs> uh, inconvenient to say the least for your family members or your dog is not used to going, uh, you know, not getting to go out and, and so forth. So this massive rotation and, and changing schedule can be hard for us humans to handle, but it is also going to help from a collaboration standpoint, because then we won't always be working from home all the time with the same people or working in the office all the time with the same people. Sure. And again, it gets to be a bit more of a logistical uh, conundrum to be finding a rhythm for that, that feels in fact like a rhythm and not like my schedule's changing all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think this also speaks to setting expectations for employees, especially for those uh, where, as you mentioned earlier, you've got a client who's kind of on the cusp of going back and starting to plan for some sort of hybrid work. I think setting expectations for employees is really critical. Set expectations that it isn't going to be just like prior to the pandemic. Set expectations that you will have a rotating schedule and it won't always be the same. Set expectations for making making a checklist to remember your laptop and your badge and your power cord and all in packing your lunch if that's something you do and setting your alarm clock for a different time some days of the week than other days of the week so you actually have time for that commute. Yeah, that's beautiful, uh, Janelle. This has been fantastic. It's really given me a lot to sink my teeth into. I, I'm afraid of going any further because there just might be too much for my my head might burst a little bit here. So it's really really good information and great insight, uh, both for me, but I hope for all of your listeners too, in understanding what are some of the critical components we need to ensure that we keep in mind as we move back into the hybrid environment. And you use the word intentional. It's not going to be like it was before. It's not a crisis for us to move back in right now. So there's no urgency to it, 
which allows us the ability to be intentional and carefully plan and set up those expectations. Those are some, some really big takeaways that I'm taking away from today. So I appreciate that. Uh, before we conclude, any, any final thoughts or other things that you've got on your mind? You're like, well, I just got to get this one last piece out. <laughs> well, I, I guess going back to something I said earlier, and you were just hitting on this too, like this is not an emergency. It's not a crisis. We get to be intentional about it. And I think it's really important to be optimistic about it. Because employees' emotional responses are going to be all over the board to going back into the building. Some are going to be excited and some are not. And for reasons of health and safety, for reasons of productivity, for reasons of blending home and, and, and work life. And to try to generate some excitement on the part of employees and to really paint this as a brave new frontier and an exciting place to venture into. And again, reminding them that it's not the panic and the crisis of the pandemic that set this off, but this is now being thoughtful and mindful. And um, relating to setting expectations of employees is that when they are making requests for their schedules to let them know that they are those requests are advisory and that you will do your best to accommodate them. And so keeping some of those things in mind, as well as, and I guess this is kind of my last word on the topic for right now, for this conversation that you and I are having, mm -hmm. and for any organization that's starting to have this conversation, really think of this as the beginning of the conversation. Because mm. we have time, we've got an on-ramp. And the more we can be in dialogue about this and think about the specific needs of our customers, of our employees, and of the work itself, the more we can design a hybrid work to address all of those things. And so I, I really, really want people to be thinking about this is the beginning of the conversation. It absolutely is the beginning of the conversation. And if there's one actual very pragmatic tip I could share that I haven't shared yet, it would be this. As leadership is making some choices and engaging in dialogue and thinking about what that future is going to look like, what this hybrid workplace is going to, to look like, I want to encourage them to do something similar to what I did a bit earlier uh, when I mentioned, you know, there's there's at least these three different types of employees. There's one who's gung-ho to go back to the office. There's one and so forth. But to intentionally create some personas, you might call them avatars or there's a variety of different uh, ways that you can label them, but some personas that's got some aggregate characteristics of some of your employees. So you've got, you know, one who might be the working parent who's got a 35 mile commute each direction, who is excellent at getting their work done at home and doesn't really want to come back into the office. And then you've got one who isn't all that productive and does a lot of lawn mowing and other things. And you kind of want them back in the office to give a little bit more oversight and supervision and then, you know, and, and so forth. And so maybe you've got a handful of Four, you know, three or four, maybe five different personas that make up your employee population, your employee base, maybe not even one team at a time, but just across the organization. And then really think about those avatars, really think about those personas as you make decisions, as you communicate to your staff, because remembering that you've got this breadth of employees who are going to have different logistical and emotional responses to coming back into the office will, I think, really help craft communication and decisions that are going to land with all of those employees and not favor one group over another. I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, I recently I went through an experience where we actually did create these avatars and we thought about, you know, what their experience is currently and what it could be. 
It was just powerful. It was just really powerful for us. And what I really like about this is we're starting to, move, you know, as, as we do that, we move away from the logistical process oriented facets of leadership, which some of us get really excited about. Like I, I think about creating one of these checkerboard schedules and I get excited. I mean, that's just, that's just my cup of tea. I, I like that kind of stuff because I'm a process oriented kind of person. But when we break it down into avatars and we think about the specific needs of different kinds of profiles of our, of our staff, now we're taking on a personal approach, right? We're, we're, we're thinking about this in regards to how can we connect with these folks? How can we really meet the individual needs of each person on our team, which I think all leaders need? You know, a lot of leaders are really good at getting stuff done. It's why we got into a position we're in. We have to be more intentional about taking the time to think about individuals and their specific needs. And the avatar ideas is, is one technical way that we can yeah, do well it, i mean it comes it comes straight out of technology you know out of technology software developers use it i used to be a user experience design leader and so you in user experience we always thought about who's the persona who's the avatar marketing has been using this for years and i think it's really time to get this tool into the hands of leadership because leaders really need to be thinking especially leaders who are leading really large organizations mm -hmm. where you have so many different types of people to collect some of those characteristics into an avatar and really think about those folks as you're rolling out decisions and communication can absolutely make a huge difference. That's beautiful. That's yeah. great. Well, Janelle, this has been everything I expected it to be. <laughs> well, Jason, it has been delightful to be interviewed by you. You are a masterful interview, interviewer, and I welcomed the opportunity to have you on the show today and have you interview me for a little turn of the tables. That's great. Well, thank you for your time. I greatly appreciate it. And it has been a good experience. Likewise, my friend, we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations.